many of you are ready for the Word of God today? Amen. Amen. I think I'll preach on Christmas. I, you know, what do you think? Right? I think I'm going to talk about Christmas joy today. Christmas joy. And uh, so, uh, you know, joy, as I'm going to be sharing with you in a moment, is something that God does. And, um, you know, joy is a blessing. How many of you could use a tablespoon of joy today? Amen. And so I want us to pray together and then we're going to read quickly. I know you've been standing a lot. That's good. It's good for you. We're, we're getting you ready to put on those pounds. We're, maybe you can put off a little bit before you put them on, but let's, let's pray. Father, we just, we just thank you for the word of God and we pray your blessing on it today in the name of Jesus. Help us to see the joy of the Lord, which is our strength in this. Amen. Don't sit down yet. Let me read Luke 2, 1. Here we go. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was, don't name your child Quirinius, <laughs> was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now verse 4, Joseph, I'm reading out of Luke 2. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't that amazing? Verse 8, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were very afraid. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, great what? Joy, that'll be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, or a whole bunch more of the angels, praising God and saying, read it out loud with me, everybody, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him joy. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, we notice that the angelic announcement of Christmas was one of joy. It was not of terror, it was not of gloom, but it was of joy. And suddenly, there was with the one angel, a host of angels talking about joy. Now the reason for the great joy was the birth of the long-awaited Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That was the reason for the joy. Now, you read that, and we know that conversely, the world Jesus was born into was not in any way, shape, or form a world of joy. No, it was not. The world Jesus was born into was marked with despair, bondage to the Romans, 
hard labor, deep spiritual darkness, frustration, slavery. Um, God's people groaned under Roman oppression. They wanted to be free, and they thought the Messiah was going to arrive to set them free from the tyranny of Rome. That's what they thought. The Jewish religion under the scribes and the Pharisees have become unendurable, unbearable. Uh, endless rules and regulations that God never gave through Moses, but, but the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law over time just made them up and shackled the people with these, these terrible rules where you really couldn't move to the right or the left without breaking one of them. It was terrible bondage. And yet the angels come and they say, we're announcing joy to you. We're announcing joy to you. That's why so many of our Christmas songs are about joy. So, so watch this. God spoke joy into a world that was anything but joyful. And it, it, what he did there with a world and a nation and a city and a people, he does with you individually. He speaks joy into your life when there may not be a reason to have a lot of joy. Right? Christmas song after Christmas song, joy. Here we are in Christmas season. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong? Good Christian men, rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Joyful all you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Joy, 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 joy. The Christmas songs are all about joy, not gloom. And I got to tell you, just like the people of Jesus' day, when I get up here and I preach about joy in America, America is anything but joyful right now. Amen? It's hard to have joy in a time of pandemic and lockdown and face masks and vaccinations and maybe losing your job if you don't want to get vaxxed and wondering if the vax will hurt you and high inflation and racial division and international wars and conflicts and rumors of wars every time you turn around. We're living in a truly crazy, insane, upside down world where right is called wrong and wrong is called right and all kinds of evil is being done uh, in the name of my rights and my freedoms and, and, uh, and uh, it, it's hard to be joyful in a, in a world like that where, where cities are burning and people are rioting and, and uh, all over the world we're seeing nothing but tumult and despair and anger and rage. And so, but God speaks joy. God speaks joy. And we need to understand that that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Because happiness comes from a Latin word that means happening. And the whole idea behind happiness is you've got to have a happening to make you happy. Something's got to happen to make you happy. You win the lottery, you're happy. You get a raise at work, you're happy. You get a good report from the doctor, you're happy. Somebody does something for you, you're happy. You open presents under the tree on Christmas morning and get what you wanted, you're happy. But happiness comes and happiness goes because happiness depends on a happening. And if you're waiting for a happening to make you happy, sometimes you're going to wait a long time, my friend. 
Because sometimes there's not a lot of happenings to make you happy. So I'd rather have something more than happiness. And that's when the Bible brings in the word joy because joy is an inside job. Joy is all about not a happening, but a relationship. Joy comes from a relationship with the Savior. Joy comes from getting right with God. You want, you want to know where you get joy? The Bible says that there's, there's all kinds of trouble for the sinner, but when you get right with God, the first thing you experience is the peace of God when you make peace with God. And when you experience the peace of God, the war between you and God is over, and now God can pour joy into your heart. And joy does not depend on a happening out here. Joy depends on a relationship that is vertical. And when you get right with God and obey God and walk in the dictates of the word of God, you experience true joy. Joy. Joy comes from God. The only way you're going to get real joy is from the Lord of joy. Amen. The New Testament mentions joy 63 times. 63 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, joy. How about some of these phrases? Joy in God, joy in the Holy Ghost, filled with joy, great joy, unspeakable joy, exceeding joy. It talks about joy. So clearly Christianity is intended to be a lifestyle marked with joy, not depression, joy, not sorrow, joy where you don't have to smoke something, drink something, shoot something, snort something to get it. You know, why are people sitting at bars? I'm gonna tell you why. Because they're wanting what I'm talking about today. They're just going to the wrong place. You're searching for joy in all the wrong places. Because people know in, instinctively God made us to experience joy. But, but we don't know that because we're lost. We're wandering in the dark. And so we look, what's going to give me joy? Because I'm, I'm looking for that joy. So we look for the buzz that alcohol gives or drugs give, that buzz, that, 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 that drug-induced peace. But, but God says, I can give you joy without any of that because the real thing comes from heaven. The real thing. No wonder Paul could write what we call today the epistle of joy, the book of Philippians, and he wrote it from a dungeon. How's that? How do you do that? How are you sitting in a dungeon for doing something right? You're persecuted for as if you did something wrong. You've lost all your freedom. You're chained. You got a Roman soldier standing next to you at all times. There's no privacy. You've lost your freedom to preach and wander and go where you want to go. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he says that from prison. Either he's crazy or he's got a hold of something we need to understand. So if you want joy, the real source of joy is revealed in one verse from our text that we read a moment ago. And that's verse 11. And let me read it to you again. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ our Lord, or Christ the Lord. And that right there is the key to joy. And I'm going to tell you how. Because in that one verse, there's three causes for joy. All right? And I'm going to share them with you. Number one, this was a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus being born on the earth, 
as the God-man. All man, all God, all God, all man. He's God incarnate. He's God come to us in the flesh. Literally, God the creator wrapped himself in skin and came to the earth and became one of us. Felt our pain, cried with us, taught us, led us, held us, healed us, spoke to us, delivered us, brought us peace, brought us an answer, saved us. And it was a fulfillment of prophecy. God had said he was coming all along. It was literally a fulfillment of God forecasting the future. From centuries before he ever came, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15. I'm going to send one, Satan, he said to Satan, who is going to bruise your head, deal you a death blow. And Genesis 3.15 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Fulfillment of prophecy. Notice the city of David is mentioned in the verse. There's more to you this day in the city of David. The city of David is not Jerusalem. The city of David is Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. And in Jesus' day, Bethlehem was nothing but a tiny Jewish community. It was no count. It was not all that in a bag of chips. Uh-uh. In 1867, a Boston pastor named Philip Brooks visited Bethlehem at Christmas time. When he returned home, he wrote a Christmas carol, which was set to music by the choir director for their Christmas concert. Uh, and they sing it, and we sing it today. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Because the birth of Jesus put Bethlehem on the map. Bethlehem is called the city of David because David grew up there along with his father Jesse and his seven brothers. That's where David grew up and that's where Jesus was born. In fact, David tended sheep in the fields just outside the village, just like the shepherds were doing when the angel appeared and said, I'm bringing you news of great joy. Now, here's the amazing thing about Bethlehem. 700 years. Everybody say 700. Now, go back seven centuries from right now, and we're in the 1400s. Think about how long that is. We're in the 1400s. If you go back seven centuries from now, seven centuries, 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a prophet stood up and said this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth one, who, capital O, who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Another version puts it, whose goings have been of old, even from everlasting. This prophet, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, Micah, you ought to read it, it's amazing, Micah 5, verse 2. This prophet stood up and wrote and, and prophesied and, and wrote in a book that one day an eternal personality would invade planet Earth via Bethlehem. You talk about Star Wars. You talk about the arrival of an E.T. No, no, no. This was not an E.T. It was the Lord Jesus Christ coming from another world to this one. 
And so he prophesied. Now, can you imagine what must have been going through his mind to predict this? Because that's an amazing statement. Somebody who has always been and always will be is going to be born in Bethlehem. Totally messianic prophecy. Though you are small among the clans of Judah. Well, that's true. Because this prophecy was delivered when Bethlehem was that tiny inconsequential village. No count village. Nowheresville. No one would have ever envisioned it becoming one of the top ten vacation spots in modern day Israel. If you had gone there in Jesus' day, you would have found a few small houses, a couple of farmlands, and that's about it. Blink, you're through it. But God saw it and said, that's where I'm going to send him. And that's where he'll be born. So we could really say that Jesus was born off the beaten path. We could say he was born on the other side of the tracks. Yeah. Yet everybody in Jesus' day who had been raised in Judaism, and that was all the Jews, they knew where he was to be born. When the wise men came from the Far East and went up to Herod and, and said, uh, we're looking for him who is to be born, ruler of Israel. We've seen his star. And Herod asked his chief priests and, and his teachers of the, of the word. And, they said, and he said, where, are they, where is he going to be born? And they, and they quoted Micah 5 too. It's amazing that though the theologians of that time, uh, these chief priests and scribes who every week stood up on the Sabbath on Saturday and opened up the scriptures and taught them, Watch this, it's amazing to me that none of them, not one of them, went with the wise men to check it out, to see if it was true. Not one of them. It was just five miles away. Let's take a walk. What if they're right? The one that I teach about every week. They're telling me that they've seen his star. What if he's been born? If he's been born, I want to see the Messiah but not one of them, not one of them. You know, the theologians, as a result of that, never experienced the joy of the Lord because they didn't walk in the word. The word told them exactly where to go to find him, and they didn't do it. That goes to show you, you can know a lot and remain lost. You can know all kinds of things and never find the truth. You can be full of education, but not come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that is personal. You can be very bright, high IQ, and walk around in the dark your whole life long. These, these theologians, they should have said, what if they're on to something? We want to see the one we're preaching about every week. But they didn't go. But the shepherds did. The shepherds did. They experienced the great joy of finding the baby Jesus in Bethlehem because they acted on the word. They knew where he was supposed to be born. The angel didn't have to say, go to Bethlehem. The angel just told them about it, and they knew exactly where to go because they knew what the prophet had said. You want joy today? Act on the word. And don't just know about him, but come to him. Come to him. Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Can I say that again? Jesus said, my will for you is that my joy is in you. That you be a joyful person. That you have joy. That's my will for you. That you have joy. 
and that your joy is full, not every once in a while, not once a year, not when some happening happens. No, that your joy is full. Amen. The second thing, second cause for joy is this one. Uh, The Christmas story is true history. Now that's a cause for joy. Because we're not here today to celebrate a story. We're here to celebrate a historic fact. God sent his son into the world. History. Look again at the text. The angel says, for there is born to you this day. When he said that, he set the arrival of Jesus in history. There was a day, there was an hour, there was a moment in history where Jesus really was born the begotten son of God. It's true. It means it really happened, which a lot of people don't believe. More and more people are just kind of, I don't believe it. It's a great story. I love getting gifts and getting off work, um, gathering with the family, eating another feast. I I love all that, but come on now. God being born by a virgin? Come on now. You don't really believe that. The great Christian thinker, Francis Schaeffer, used to talk about two kinds of truth, lower story truth and upper story truth. I'll tell you what that means. Lower story, you just picture a two-story house. Lower story truth is made up of the facts of history, things that really happened at a certain place and time to a particular people. World War I, World War II, putting a man on the moon. History. Real history that you can't deny. History. That's, that's lower story truth. But upper story truth refers to fables and myths, made up things like Aesop's fables or Jack and the Beanstalk. Stories that everybody knows aren't true and we're not expected to believe they're true. But many people read Luke 2 and they call it upper story truth. Too fantastic to believe. Who can believe that? But Luke's use of the phrase, born this day, tells us it's lower story truth. It's real history. It's real, come on everybody, it's real history. It's genuine history. It is cemented in history. As much history as I said, as World War I, World War II, the Korean War, man on the moon, The fact that you were born, that's real. It's that real. It's undeniable. It's cemented in history. Jesus came as God's only begotten son. So when we read unto you is born this day, we know that it points to an event that really happened. Listen to what Peter wrote. Peter said, we were not making up clever stories or fables when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. Peter is saying, we're not making this up. This is not a fable or a myth. We didn't get together and concoct some stories so we could create a religion. Listen, folks, hello. You're not willing to die for a story you made up. 
You're not willing to give your life in some terrible form of martyrdom, beat to death, burned to death, stoned to death, hung on a cross upside down like Peter for something you made up. No, when they start to kill me for it, I say, sorry, I'm out of here. It was all a story. Oh, no. They said, renounce it. And they said, we'll never renounce it because we know we didn't make this up. It's not a made-up story. It's not a myth. He really did come. It's cemented in history. It's cemented in history. Now, that's a cause for great joy. God so loved the world, he really did send his only begotten son. So the first two causes for joy are the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And it's not a myth. It really happened. It's not a made-up story. But the third reason is the best one. God sent a Savior. God sent a Savior. The climax of verse 11 are the words, unto you is born. Here comes the words. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Everybody say, Savior, Christ Lord. Three key things about Jesus there, all a reason to have joy. Savior in the Old Testament, or it comes from an Old Testament word that means one who delivers his people. When you see the word Savior in the Bible, it means a deliverer, somebody who's going to save you from destruction, somebody that's going to pluck you out of some horrible pit where you're going to perish if you're not saved. A deliverer. Savior, there is born unto you in the city of David this day a Savior. And the angel announced the birth of Jesus to Joseph, saying, give him, give him, when Joseph was being addressed by God, that he was to believe Mary, that that which was conceived in her was done by the Holy Ghost. The angel said to Joseph, give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people. From what? From their sins. He'll save them from their sins. Meaning what? From the consequences of sin. He'll save you from hell, from destruction, from having to answer to God for those sins. He will save you. He will save you from your sins. How many of you are thankful that you know your sins are under the blood of the Lamb? Oh, I'm telling you. Where would we be without the blood of the Lamb? Because your sins are under the blood of the Lamb. He said, he gave you a Savior. He's going to save you. When, when you go to somebody and say, I'm saved, the first thing they think is, from what? What'd you get saved from? I watched a news story uh, this week. A woman wrecked her car. And it burst into flames. And there were people that were around and they ran up to the car. And she's about to be burned alive. And at risk of their own bodies and lives, they reached in and they somehow managed to grab hold of her and pull her unconscious body out. And when she awoke, she learned, I was saved. I was saved from burning alive. I was saved from destruction. But what Jesus did is far more than that. Listen. Because she would have, God forbid, horrible, but she would have burned alive for a, a period of time, a, a few minutes. But he saved you and me from an eternity in a hell that can't be imagined. 
So how many of you are thankful he's Savior? He's Savior. But then he said, not just your Savior, but Lord. Lord is a term for deity. It lets us know that Jesus was God. He wasn't a first century uh, religious teacher tiptoeing through the religious tulips, saying neat things, wearing sandals and long hair, and looking like a Hollywood movie star. That's not Jesus. No, Jesus was God. He was God, God the Son. And so Lord doesn't just refer to deity, but it refers to somebody who has complete ownership of something. Lord means ownership. And as Lord of all lords, Jesus has total ownership of the universe and everything in it. Total owner. It means he's in control. Folks, not the devil, not evil and wicked people, but Jesus is in charge. Listen to Colossians 1.17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Jesus could speak one word and every atom would fly apart. It's all being held together by the word of Christ because he's Lord of Lords, Lord of Lords. He owns it all. He owns the universe and history is his story. And the last thing he's called Christ. Let me just tell you, Christ, we say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, you're not giving Jesus last name there. Christ is not his last name. It's a descriptive term because Christ is the Greek Christos and it comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means Messiah. So the Old Testament way of saying Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, Yeshua, Savior, the Messiah. And so the angel was saying, you're long-awaited Messiah that all the prophets talked about. You've been talking about all these centuries. He's here. He's here. God didn't just send a regular man, amen, or a committee, thank God. He didn't send an angel. He didn't leave us to ourselves. No, he gave us his very best. Can we stand together today? Amen. Amen. So Jesus, as the anointed one and owner of the universe, came to to deliver us from our sins. Can we just thank the Lord and lift our hands? Jesus, thank you came to the earth to deliver us we praise you for this cause of great joy we thank you Lord that joy comes from heaven comes from right relationship with God so Lord we don't wonder that we live in a joyless culture our culture has departed from you but not your people and we turn to you Lord and we know that our joy is in walking with you and in obeying the word of God. In the mighty name of the Lamb of God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Joy to the world. Everybody say it with me. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen.